Thanks for joining us for season three of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders of Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy, and I'd like to introduce my partner and friend, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the Restaurant Guy. Hey, thanks for that great, kind, warm, fabulous introduction, Jimmy. And to all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, we are the personalities behind Brandon Strategic Hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, and capital. You know, Jimmy, I got to tell you before we get started, I had a really tough time today getting on uh, the podcast. A lot of technical difficulties. My firmware update, really tough. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that, Michael. Very sorry. Yeah, no, and I apologize to our, our guests for hanging in there. But we're back, and I just wanted to bring up, before we get started, because we got a great guest, Jimmy, we, we launched a marketplace at Branded Strategic. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Oh, my God. Tell me more. I'm going to tell you more right now. I'm going to give a shameless plug. We launched a Branded Hospitality Marketplace. It's called themarketplace.com. You can go to themarketplace.com and check it out. If you want to get involved, you can also email us at marketplace at Branded Strategic and learn more about it. Or go just check it out and surf around. But really, it's a spot for operators especially now to find the best-in-class tech solutions to help them operate their business in all shapes and sizes. So if you're a mom-pop, all the way up to enterprise, we've got great stuff on there, and it's totally free to explore. So I, I really encourage all our listeners to go check it out. And if you want to get involved, again, email us at marketplace at brandstrategic.com or just check out the brandedmarketplace.com. Jimmy, there's my shameless plug. Go ahead. Well, that, that's great, Chatsy, and I'm so glad you actually articulated the correct URL the second time. Because I, <laughs> I was about to say that I may not be an expert in marketplaces, but I know if you give someone the wrong URL, they may not end up where you want them to. Just call me crazy, but you corrected it. TheBrandedMarketplace.com. People should check it out. Very excited. All right. Let's put that behind us. We are very excited about today's episode. When you think about robotics, okay, and I might be dating myself, um, but my mind goes to things like, you are know. Are you going lost in space? I'm going RoboCop. I'm going short circuit, you know, and then if you're a little bit, you know, hipper, smarter, more youthful than me, you might go to, you know, the automobile and medical automation, which would be totally cool. But today, I'm lost in space, Jimmy. Warning, warning, warning. Well, today we're going, we're talking about hospitality robotics, and we don't think the Hangout could have a better guest to lead our discussion than our friend, Mr. Mike Bell, CEO of Mesa Robotics. Mike, we appreciate you coming on the, the podcast with us, and why don't we let you introduce yourself, give a quick background, and also please introduce Mesa Robotics. Really excited about this. Yeah, I'm happy to. Thank you, Jimmy, and thank you, Shasti. I'm, I'm really happy to be here, and I appreciate uh, appreciate the setup. Yeah, I'm a technology guy. I've been in technology for the last 30 years, and for the last several of those 30 years, um, I've been in restaurant technology. And, and all along that, that route has been about helping early-stage companies who have a really great idea and a great product achieve scale, kind of help them grow up to the next to the next era. But the technology, restaurant technology in particular, has been kind of boring. It's, it's kind of the thing you, you bring up at a, at a cocktail party when you really want to get people to kind of gloss over and move on. It's, it's not been, <laughs> put them to sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not been kind of a hot topic until until recently. The technology has, has hit the restaurant industry pretty suddenly. We'll talk about that I think later. Um, and robots in particular suddenly become cool. And so um, it's, it's a really good space to be in. I joined Miso Robotics um, less than a year ago. I was on the board of directors and I came into CEO role, the CEO role in August of last year. 
But before that, Miso Robotics had been around for, for about four years. And all of that time has been spent developing all the underlying technology that allows us to come to market today with a true robot solution, a robotic solution for the restaurant industry. Uh, and I'm really delighted to be here and to, to talk more about that. Hey, thanks so much uh, for that great introduction. Before we take a deeper dive into Miso Robotics, we hear the, certainly in the trades and in the biz, so to speak, we hear uh, a lot about Flippy. And we hear Flippy, I hear Flippy, Flippy. And I know there's a correlation between Miso Robotics and Flippy. Can you give us a little background? What's Flippy? How is it related to Miso Robotics? And where'd the name Flippy come from? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Happy to. So uh, Flippy was a name that we came up ourselves uh, for, for the robot that we're bringing to restaurants. And we, we did that deliberately. Um, we knew that bringing a robot into uh, kind of a tight quartered human working environment is new for a lot of people. And it's really important for us to, to do what we can to humanize the robot and make it instead of see, seem like a kind of a cold piece of, of, of autonomous steel is to really just have it be treated like another colleague that really assists the human beings in, in back of house restaurants. And so Flippy's the name that kind of came out early on and it stuck. Current, Flippy's current iteration is a frying station. Okay, so Flippy is an arm that hangs from a frame that gets put in right over a fry station in an existing restaurant. So if you're a quick serve restaurant or a diner or whatever, your existing fry station stays where it is. We just plug in this kind of frame and Flippy is the robotic arm that hangs over this frame and takes over all the dirty, repetitive, dangerous tasks that the humans don't want to do of bringing a basket of fries in and out of those uh, those cooking environments and dumps them in a dumping station. And that's Flippy. Got it. So Flippy is just the arm within the whole Miso Robotics uh, world. Exactly. And it's kind of the colloquial product name, if you will. We have a lot of products coming and Flippy right. now is the one. I mean, originally started Flippy was, was flipping burgers. And that was kind of his mm -hmm. generation. And a lot right. of people have seen video of that. It got a tremendous amount of press because it's very, mm -hmm. very cool to see. It's very human-like. But Flippy isn't flipping burgers. Uh, the name's stuck, and now Flippy does a lot more. He cooks a lot more. Awesome. So now I've gone from RoboCop to Terminator 2 when the arm survives, you know, the arm of death. <laughs> that's um, Flippy. That's, that's Flippy. Flippy. Flippy was the arm. Um, you know, we, we've referenced this before on the podcast, um, but I think it's prudent to bring it up again, that in a technology study about a year ago, other than coal mining, the hospitality industry ranked as uh, among the lowest or the lowest industry to embrace tech. So congrats, uh, hospitality. We, we didn't get the gold as far as being the slowest. We got the, the silver as, in terms of being the slowest. In fact, I think you once mentioned to us that the last truly great tech invention was the dishwasher. So when it comes to technology automation, why do you think it's taken so long to see advancements such as robotics in the industry? And, and, and why did the hospitality industry get skipped? It's a really good question, uh, Jimmy, and there's a lot of kind of technical explanations behind it. But when you step back and just kind of look at it, um, technology hit the restaurant industry pretty rapidly when delivery came about. And that's its own thing with kind of cloud-based point of sale systems and delivery. I know you've had a lot of guests on this podcast that, that talk about those technologies. But when you look at back of house, when you look at all the things that a human being does in a, in a, in a back house operation in a restaurant location, um, it's true. There really hasn't been any real automation or, since the dishwasher. And, and, and that back of house is ripe for, for opportunity for automation. There's just a whole bunch of tasks that are repetitive and silly and, and they really don't, they're, they're, they're tasks that really uh, enable humans to go do 
bigger, you know, bigger and better things that are that are more appropriate for humans. Um, but but the reason that it's kind of skipped um, automation, the technology skipped automation, it, it it comes down to a series of explanations about just available technology. Like it really took us to this point in time in the world to have computer vision, for an example, to be accurate enough to understand where a burger is on a grill and how to flip it and, 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 how, to, and how, to, how to notice when a steak on a grill is medium and not medium rare. This technology has taken a long time to come around so that a computer without a human being interpreting it can actually make that determination on its own. It can actually move around safely next to a human being. So this technology got, got ushered into manufacturing and even you know, the medical field more, more quickly. But, but now it's available to the restaurant industry and it does it and it, and it performs really, really well. And so the, the next big wave of adoption for this, uh, tech, tech, this technology, it is now upon us. Yeah, thanks for that, Mike. I never really thought about the, you know, been in the restaurant business uh, for 25 some odd years. I never really thought about it, you know, but you're right. The, uh, you know, we've got our cooking equipment, which it's really not automated. It's just ovens, which really hasn't changed. Fryers, ovens, nothing's really changed. We kind of got a, maybe a turbo chef kind of, you know, faster cooking oven, but really the dishwasher is really the, uh, the only kind of robot we've got in a restaurant. Uh, and to Jimmy's point, man, we are just really slow to adopt in the hospitality business. You know, POS was always, I think when you ask an operator, are you, you know, do you have tech? He's like, oh, I got a point of sale system. You know, of course I got tech, right? Right. Well, let me just, just switch gears a little bit, because this is something that I think comes up a lot when we start talking about. It. I know that we uh, opened up a restaurant uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe two, three years ago, I forget. And we were looking for some opportunities to reduce cost because labor is always an issue. And we put in a, a self-pouring beverage system to pour beer and cocktails, et cetera. And a lot of people came to us, oh, you're, you're, you're killing all the restaurant jobs. You're going to get rid of all the bartenders. Is that the idea? You want to get rid of all the bartenders? So, so now, and that, that's certainly not the idea. It was really to make it more efficient for, honestly, a lot of the customers really want those efficiencies and really enjoy uh, the, the pouring their own beverage and things like that. But now you've Shats, got- you and I were bartenders. You and I were, bar were bartenders. We love the bartender. Yeah, we love the bartender. Love and, the bartender. Uh, yeah, the bartender, it's the best job in the world, without a doubt. Love the Drake. Love the yeah, Drake. Love the Drake. <laughs> and I got to tell you, but now you're talking about the flippy. And now you're saying, well, I, I don't need a fry guy. I don't need a flipper guy. So now the same kind of question is, is robotics, you know, taking away jobs? Is it putting people out of the workforce within the restaurant space? Or can you kind of uh, talk a little bit of this and just say, hey, that's not really what's going on? Because that's what I said yeah. when, when they said that you're getting rid of bartenders. That's not really going on. It's really in addendum too, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, we get the question all the time. We're really eager to address it and really yeah. eager to talk about it because it is, uh, it's frankly a, a largely a misunderstanding and kind of a lack of data. Um, so when you look at a robot doing a job that a human used to, used to do, it's, it's, you know, it, it stands to reason you say, hey, that's displacing you know, an American worker. But truth right. be told, as we sit here doing this podcast, there is almost a million jobs unfilled across the restaurant industry that are perennially open, and they're largely around you know the, the, the thing like things like the fry station. So it is really really hard for operators to recruit and retain people to do this job, and they and they in the industry does frankly a pretty poor job of filling it. These mm -hmm. the tenure someone who comes in and works over a fry station is about nine months. And that's just because it's just not a job that people generally want to do. It, if you think about right. it, you did that for a year. It doesn't necessarily help train you or prepare you for anything bigger and better in life. It's not like it's a good stepping stone job that gives you skills that you'll call upon later. Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty 
I was just going to say, Mike, you know, at my first restaurant, and I'm not uh, a chef, I'm not a cook, I don't come from that background, I just love uh, love restaurants and food. At my first restaurant, whenever, like, there was a problem or a fry guy didn't show up or something like that, they used to always make me go back there because it was the worst job and you really didn't need a tremendous amount of skill. So to your point, I always got that job and, and I would break out in zits from all the uh, the grease and the yeah. oil uh, on yeah. the fry station. So to your point, yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's not a good job. And so no, it's not. W- w- the way we look at it is we say, by having uh, a machine take over this simple function, that allows human beings to do, to, you know, in, in the restaurant, to do better things. They can actually go work with customers and have human interaction. They can work in the technology that drives delivery sales. There's a whole bunch of other tasks that that person right. could and should be doing. They're frankly, they're more valuable and they, they help the person better and help the restaurant better. And there's things like working with customers that a computer is not going to take that over well. And so um, for us, we look at it as kind of furthering the, the evolution of the workforce, not displacing it. You know, when uh, when Shatz was telling the story about the uh, self-pouring uh, beverage system or beverage solution we put in one of our stores, and yes, uh, he's not wrong. People would come to us and ask quite a bit uh, of me about what we're doing to the job market. And the first thing I would tell them is go speak to Shatz. Um, and then if, if, that, if that didn't work, um, I, then I admit I would say, well, I'll have this conversation with you so long as you tell me that you do not pump your own gas, you, you pay the attendant to do that, and you do not use the easy pass lane. You like to go to the toll operator. And I can think of a myriad of examples where technology has certainly supplemented or been added to the human capital mix to bring greater efficiencies, both for the operator and the customer or our guests. So just my two cents on, on again, if you have a question about labor saving or what we're doing to jobs, A, speak to Shatz, and then B, we'll have the conversation as long as you wait in the, uh, we wait to pay the toll operator as opposed to easy path lane. Uh, now, sticking with the, the where we just left off on misunderstandings, I think there's a general misunderstanding around the economics of the robots. Um, so let's, let's suspend the discussion around SaaS, which is software as a service, and let's talk about what you created and coined as RAS or robotics as a service. And can you give us a little overview on just how much, you know, a restaurant robot will cost an operator? Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is something really cool that we're doing. So um, when we when we got together at Miso and thought, you know, this is really something that can that can change the industry and change the lives of, of a lot of restaurant operators. Um, we thought it wouldn't be a shame if we if we created a really cool robot that was unreachable because it was unaffordable for the large majority. Um, it would really be a shame. And so when, when people see flipping, they think, oh, that's great. But you ask people kind of what they think it would cost, you'd be surprised that the numbers are here. People assume something like that would be a significant capital outlay. And, and if it was, that, that would be really hard for the average restaurant operator to, to fork over, you know, whatever to pay for a robot. These robots cost, you know, upwards of fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000. And so it is just not the kind of, you know, change that the average operator has laying around for a robot. Even if it does, you know, get an ROI year two or three or four, or whatever. So we thought, let's let's turn this upside down a little bit. Let's let's take a look at what what the average cost of just one human being at a fry station for for one shift for a month. There's three shifts in a month. Let's just say one. And with the minimum wage coming up to like fifteen dollars an hour, a lot of places, mm-hmm. and, and, yep. and the fully loaded cost of training and insurance and all kind of stuff, it's it's about twenty five hundred bucks for one shift for one human being to to stand over a fry station. So we thought, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to provide our robots for about that same amount of money. And instead of asking uh, operators to come up with, you know, write a big cap, a check for, you know, a big piece of capital, uh, we're just going to simply 
you know, provide the robot to them on was essentially a subscription. And for that, we cover all support, all maintenance, all warranty. Anything happens to the robot, we fix it, replace it, or whatever else. And you can plug it in for as long as you want. Um, and so with, with, with providing the robots like this, it's amazing because what we can do is we can allow an operator to, to have a positive ROI in month one. They don't need to write a check and then have to you know, get the payback in you know, year two or three. Year one, it should be in the black form. They should, meaning they should be saving money and they should be seeing their throughput of their restaurant and, and uh, go up and they should see the workers in the back of the house be significantly happier. You know, I love that. And I appreciate you sharing and breaking down the economics. Um, you know, as the finance guy uh, on this podcast, um, I love when we break into the numbers. So I want to stick with this. There are about 600,000 restaurants in the U.S. Uh, 300,000 have a fry station or a quick serve station, and around 100,000 humans are manning those stations. So we've already discussed, you're not trying to eliminate, you know, positions and replace uh, jobs, but, but it sounds to me like you have a path, not just in the immediate with the fryer, but you have a path where robotics are going to fit in and to the improving upon, you know, the, the, the efficiencies of stores. Can you talk a little bit more about that as far as, you know, the, 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 the landscape of restaurants, the number with the fry station, and the roadmap you have in terms of how you're going to blend uh, this robotics with with the human capital. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's it's, it's kind of a, a freakishly large like market when you look at it and think, boy, you know, there's there's some chains that have two or three, four hundred locations, and that seems kind of big. And there's some chains that have thousands. But all told, it's just an enormous number of restaurants that can and, and, and will need um, a robotic solution like Flippy. And so what we're looking at is building up our supply chain handle, those kind of numbers and kind of, kind of get ready for this wave. But, but also knowing kind of to the, to the second part of your question, also kind of knowing along the way that what we're showing restaurants when we drop a, a, a robotic fry station into a restaurant environment, that, that yes, they see a reduction in cost, but what they, what they really see is an increase in throughput. Because what happens is they get to put those people, the overall back of house mm -hmm. is more efficient. Like everybody is to stay in their space and do their job without having to turn around and go help the fry station or, you know, or, or fill in for the fry station person because he or she is, is ill. Um, it allows the overall operation to, to push its, its top line number. And along the way, get more consistent food, happier employees, all that kind of other stuff. So um, we're looking, we're taking on a really big mission to say, look, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to bring this solution to an enormous audience because the benefits are, are, are numerous up and down the chain. Yeah, thanks, Mike. You know, listen, we were so excited to have you on on this podcast because we're just super excited about robotics and the whole idea. And there's some really cool stuff going on. But now, so I'm just I'm an operator. I'm an imagining in my kitchen. I've got some line cooks because you know Flippy's not taking over the whole place. It's just doing at this point, you know, maybe flipping burgers and doing the fries, the fry station. So I'm imagining we got some some line cooks in there and we got some robots in there. So to Jimmy's point with like the Terminator stuff, you know, sometimes the stuff that we see, you know, in movies from a long time ago, sometimes that stuff comes to be true. So do you see an, a, 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 is there a problem with robots and humans working together? Or is it like, is it like a Terminator thing? These robots are going to take over the kitchen and take over the whole restaurant. But in all kidding aside, like, it, yeah, what happens if the robot starts going bananas on you, you know, just starts throwing out fries all over the place? What, what kind of systems are in place to prevent yeah, no. the robot from going crazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's an important thing to get right. And if you install one of these in kind of a back of house operation, 
it's kind of interesting to watch human beings there, you know, at first they're intrigued and then some of them might be just a little, they're a little intimidated. Like, like you know, it's, it's, it's new, it's new form. So mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's imperative that we make this completely safe. And there, there are laws and, and rules that, that govern this, by the way, we're not going to make it up as we go along. There, there are, are, are laws about how a robot must function if it's, if it's adjacent to a human being in any environment, restaurant or manufacturing, whatever. And so, yeah, we, we get it right. We have uh, sensors all over the robot frame. And if there's any human, um, if, if you break the visual plane or the sensor plane with an elbow, a hand or a hip or whatever, it just, the robot just simply, it just simply stops. It just simply pauses wherever it's at so there's no more ro- robot movement. And, and that's that's accurate with the high degree of kind of fail safe. Um, and then also, if there's ever a power outage or anything, you know, whatever weird happens, you simply push a red button. The robot um, relaxes. The human being scoots with the arm over to the side and just resumes cooking manually. So it's, it's really like the kill switch. Yeah, it's like you got kill the kill switch in there. It's, it's, a, it's a kill switch that makes the arm just appropriately limp so that you can move it over. Um, right. And they just takes over and they're no, they're no worse off than they were before the robot was there. I guess what's really scary though, Mike, is if it hit the kill switch and the robot doesn't stop, like how, <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's to happen. But then, then you're in Terminator land, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Actually, I, I hear the only thing Flipper can't do is it can't keep its cool if you call him Flipper. Uh, it likes flip- yeah. <laughs> call it flipper. He goes flipper. Yeah. Hey, don't call me that. Yeah. <laughs> don't call me flipper. You know, um, it's hard not to uh, be. We're in the hospitality industry. Uh, we've been here a long time, and it's just hard not to bring up the pandemic, um, for better or worse. And it, it's really a um, an unbelievable uh, headwind to the brick and mortar and business as usual. It's also proven to be an incredible tailwind um, for our tech. Um, an innovation business. And, and we actually like to say that the, the pandemic has actually changed nothing for our industry, but has accelerated everything. Um, we believe that adoption and embracement of tech and innovation, which, which has taken traditionally years um, to come to market, um, you know, and, and, and for customers and operators to, to come on board with it, it's now taken a matter of a month a few months for the adoption. So can you share, um, you know, maybe a little more about how Miso Robotics brands have adapted uh, and grown over the last year, um, even the pandemic hit? And and let's talk about your last year um, as we battled this uh, this headwind to the industry, but again, a real tailwind for innovation and tech. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting. We, we talk a lot about it because we're not really sure what, what caused the change, what changed, whether I subscribe to your belief that the pandemic accelerated technology adoption in the restaurant industry. And when, when we, you know, uh, at Miso in, in times past would, would, would talk to a restaurant about a robotic solution, um, it, it was, um, it was abstract and futuristic for them. And they were interested, but not really like, Hey, that's, you know, that's for some other generation. Right. But man, things have changed. Um, the restaurant industry is embracing technology. They're pursuing technology. Um, and, and it's kind of like the time is now. So it's been, it's been a sea change just in the last year in terms of the, the appetite and the interest and the adoption, and, the, and frankly, the pace of adoption in the restaurant industry. And so it's almost as if the memo got put out and everybody got it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, now, and now the industry is just comfortable with it. But it's, 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 ter- it's terrific. It's overdue. But, but that matters not. It's upon us now. And, and it's, um, it, it, it's helping restaurants every day. Right, and on that note, Mike, uh, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, 
you guys did like just crazy stuff. You closed a uh, a crowdfunding uh, uh, round of over twenty million dollars in just a few months during during the pandemic. I mean, if that's not a telltale sign of that, the general population, the public, of the investors out there are certainly long on on robotics and 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 the idea that that's definitely in the pipeline. We know that. This past uh, election, a bunch of states, like you alluded to earlier, have voted for increased minimum wages. So I think certainly it's ripe to put some robots in areas that, like you said, these are jobs that uh, you know maybe a lot of people don't really want. So can you just share a little bit more about how you how you did crowdfunding? It's kind of not the maybe the 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 normal thing that we hear. A lot of times we hear about the tech companies all VC back funding, but you went crowdfunding. Any reasons why? And can you, how was the experience? Can you give us a little about that? Yeah, for sure. This is, this is, I find this fascinating. Okay. So, um, I was new to crowdfunding until, until MISO because my entire professional, um, uh, you know, life has been all around venture funding, you know, and, and have a ton of experience raising venture capital. And so, and so just a word on crowdfunding and kind of what, what happened uh, to, to the world recently is that they're the, the common person, the average investor kind of always had this complaint, like how come the venture guys get the opportunity to invest in these really cool companies, but I don't. And it's a good question. And if you think about that, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's, it's a benefit to allow the average person to invest where they might or they will. And so, a series of laws changed recently that allows the average investor, not just accredited, you know, aka you know, high net worth investor, but the average investor, to put money into in, into companies that aren't officially public yet. And so, uh, MISO qualified. We we filed with the SEC. We do we're, we're fully audited. The SEC keeps an eye on what we're doing. And so we and so we have to basically be um, be, be operate the business you know, very similar to the way a, a public company operates its business in terms of transparency and reportings and things like that. And we already do. So it was fine. So we, we filed with the SEC to become um, eligible to receive investment. It's called Reg A, um, to be eligible to receive investment from the general public. And we looked at that and thought, okay, robotics is the kind of technology that, that everyone can understand. And I think everyone can believe in. When, when the average person orders burgers and fries and looks behind the counter and sees a human being moving baskets back and forth, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of vision for the average person to say, it's not going to be that way in 10 years. <laughs> There's not going to be that same right. like this. That's going to change. And so people can really easily buy in and understand the vision that that is, that is uh, the robotics are the future of many things, including boring, repetitive, tedious tasks like running. And so we opened it up to the public to say, if, if you'd like to invest in a company like MISO or like to invest in MISO, we're going to allow you to do so. So you can go to MisoRobotics.com and you can you can see that we have the opportunity. There, the average person can click on an invest button and see, read all of our filings, read everything you'd like to know about the company, full disclosure, and invest in the company. We sell our shares like right now for about $17 a share. Um, we have uh, closed this crowdfunding round. We, we have almost 7,000 individual investors and the average investment is around $1,500. And so... It's great for people that just say, look, I, 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 I believe in this long term. Uh, I don't need a professional to tell me, you know, to, <laughs> that this is the way of the future. And in this kind of thing would be really hot for venture capitalists. And now I have the opportunity to invest in it. So it was a really good strategy for MISO. And it was such a good strategy that we were able to be 
successful at it, even in the midst of a pandemic. We closed one of the largest crowd, crowdfund uh, crowdfund fundraisers like in, in the history of this platform. And so um, it's been a really successful win for MISO. And we feel really good because we allow the average Joe to put money in the company if they like to. And so, yeah, and, and, and that, 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 that fundraising, that kind of open to the public is, is ongoing. And you just go to misorobotics.com if you want to check it out. Do you mind uh, telling us which uh, microventure platform you used? Um, it was a success. I hope it's a nice shout out for the platform. And if you can't, if you don't want to share it, that's fine. But I figured I'd ask, what was the platform used? When this podcast airs, it will be, frankly, our own platform. We've developed our own platform um, that is uh, essentially powering this fundraise. And uh, yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big change and it's a big step forward. We looked at it and thought we really, you know, do the marketing. We can handle the transaction, and we have a registered dealer broker uh, on the site, and so it's our own. Uh, we rolled our own, our own homebrew. I love it. And you saved the juice. Saved a lot of juice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I got to tell you, that is really cool. That's even cooler than the robotics. I think I got to be honest. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you you have your company filled with a bunch of you know really smart engineering guys who just kind of look at something and say, hey, we can do that better. Real quick, before we we're going to close out our Q and A, it's been really cool and really interesting. Um, just give us real quick, what's next for Flippy? You got the Fry Station, you got the uh, Burger Flipping. Uh, anything else on the horizon for uh, for Flippy and and Miso in the robotics world? Yeah, for sure. There's something specific, and then I'll and then I'll give you a, a little tease as well. So um, so we're really deliberate about doing solving one problem thoroughly before we move on to the next. Okay, so we're really kind of Delivered about our, our, our product releases. So, product the fl- the, the Flippy Fry Station um, at the time of this podcast is will be you know, alive and well and available for production and sale. And then, in the very next, what we're going to be doing is taking Flippy and putting them over the grill. And that will be again a high volume commercial product that handles burger flipping and grill, fr- grill flipping in the same fashion that I described earlier, just an, o- an overhead uh, robotic arm. And later, what we're going to be releasing is a series of products that are uh, that are computer vision tools. So if you think about cameras in the back of the house that can keep track of operation, there's a huge list of solutions or problems that they can that these cameras can kind of um, uh, report on or deliver on. Whether it has to do with the, the, the throughput of the fry baskets or the throughput of a grill or counting how many items have been in a holding station for how long. There's a whole series of solutions we're bringing to bear around a computer vision product that will be self-installable. And that product is called CookRight. And there'll be announcements about that real soon. Was that CookRight? CookRight, yep. All right, everybody. Look, we just got we just got hot news announcement on this podcast. Jimmy, I think we just made news. news. We made news. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Catch you later. I mean, mean, we're breaking news. That's unbelievable. Not only do we have a great guest, we're breaking. Who who would have thought we're breaking news? I don't don't know how to follow. I don't know how to follow that update. That's so interesting. But here I go. I'll try. We're now going to move into uh, one of our newest segments of the podcast. Our producer uh, wanted to come up with something, you know, interesting and exciting and, and, and change it up a little bit. So while we launched the Hospitality Hangout to talk to our guests and talk to other people, we learned along the way that sometimes our guests have questions they'd like to ask of us. So for season three, we introduced the newest segment, Talking Back, uh, where we offer uh, our guests the opportunity to ask us anything and nothing is off the table. So Mike, the microphone is yours. Right. Just don't ask me. Okay, so I know, so I'm in California and we're locked down here with COVID. Like you cannot, you cannot even sit outside and have a glass of beer. There's no kind of restaurant industry other than delivery or, or, or takeout. 
And so I've, you know, I, I, I have a background in delivery technology, as you, as you gentlemen know. And I just I want to know what you think when you say things are kind of returning to normal, we see things returning to normal. One of the questions I'd love your perspective on is do you think that the that, that dying in capacity will return to its normal pre-COVID levels? Or do you think that we as, as customers have been, clients have been trained that, wow, delivery is just so darn efficient and it's so easy. I'm just going to start eating at home more um, and have food delivered. Like, how do you think this whole thing will, will settle out? What I love most about that great question is it's definitely for the restaurant guy, Shatty. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll take it, Jim, but I know you have plenty of insight and thoughts on this question as well. But I got to be honest with you, Mike, I think... Uh, real quick, you know, um, I think as humans, we love going out. We love interacting with people. We are a social species. We love going to the movies. We love going to amusement parks. We love going out to dinner. We love going to bars. We love doing all those things. We haven't been able to during during a pandemic. We weren't able to, but we all love to. I know speaking to the uh, the folks in the, let's call it the, uh, the airlines and tourists and hotel business, hearing some of the... Uh, the leaders there, they believe that it will be back. Uh, it'll take to 2000 to, uh, to 2023 uh, to get back to 2019 levels. So it'll take a couple of years. But I think ultimately, uh, you know, some restaurants, we, we've lost a bunch of restaurants, but I think you're going to find that through M&A, et cetera, there's going to be great opportunity. You've already seen some of it. There's been bankruptcies, but there's some really been great operators out there that had great balance sheets that see these assets and they bought, bought them up. Maybe they closed some underperforming stores, got out of some bad leases. So ultimately, I think that before uh, the pandemic hit, uh, we saw off-prem growing and growing and growing. So it, that's a medium that's just, you know, that's not going to change. People do love the convenience of ordering in. Uh, a crazy little fact that I think uh, people forget is because people think everyone's just ordering online, and that's where the whole business is. It was only last year that online ordering surpassed phone-in ordering. It was only last year. Right. It was more phone-in orderings up until last year. People couldn't believe that. Like, what? People still call a lot. 50%, I think it's like, now it may be a little bit less, but it was like 48% of people still call to place orders for food. So it takes a long time. And I think at the end of the day, people love the convenience of uh, ordering in, especially when it's bad weather, taking a drive to go pick up food from a place. But I think at the end of the day, uh, people love to go out. They love the experience. Uh, so I think it will come back, but off-prem is certainly, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. It wasn't going anywhere before. It's not going anywhere now, but I'm very bullish of the, the. they will all live hand in hand. People love to order in and people love to go out. Got it. I agree. I think that makes sense. I think there might be. I don't know if it makes sense or not, but it was my idea. Well, I, I, <laughs> I haven't it, made it, sense it, in years. Yeah, no, me either, but. But it jives with my perspective. I think there'll be a, a little bit of a, a roaring 20s for our generation when restaurants and bars open up again because everyone's so locked up. Um, and then it'll level out. But I agree. I mean, I miss, I miss having a beer. I look forward to having a cold with you guys sometime. Yeah, exa exactly. Well, on that note, on that note, Jimmy, do you have any perspective on that? Or, or is it you talk too much anyway, Jimmy? I, let's just go right into the tech stack, right? Am I right? I was actually going to agree with you, Michael. And now I'm flipping to the bird because uh, you made the dig about me talking too much. <laughs> but yes, Michael, please, please, you continue. Please enjoy. enjoy. No one's ever accused you of talking too much. Enjoy yourself, Shassi. This is, the, this is the segment we call top of the tech stack. And really, outside of, uh, obviously, robotics, because obviously you are very passionate about that, if you, you can give operators listening, out there 
any advice on technology and what's most important for, for them right now in technology outside of the robotics and MISO, which we love and think is the, the best thing ever, what would you tell an operator to put some time and energy in their tech stack right now? You got to have this. What is it? Yeah, yeah. I would say two things. One, if you're not on a cloud-based point-of-sale system, get off the stick, pull the bandit off, and get on a cloud-based cloud-based point-of-sale system now. It's never going to get easier. You've got to do it. And two, an aggregator solution of delivery services. For example, Ordermark, a somewhat shameless plug for them, but but there are so many delivery. I think I think they're a sponsor. No, I'm yeah, well, I, yeah, and I, I, I worked I worked there previously, as you may know. So they're, they're yeah, no, I do know that. And so they um, they do something really important. There's so many delivery services, and most most restaurant brands just think about kind of the big four, but there are so many others in every in most zip codes that having uh, an aggregator allows you to get more delivery services, and when it comes to more delivery services, more is better. They each bring their own proprietary customers with them, and it's just better to have more. You can't really do that without an aggregate. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I got. We were an early adopter to that technology for the mere reason. We're just who could manage all these tablets coming in, and I had to pay two, three people just to sit there and push buttons and print and and using toner and print and paper. It was crazy. So I agree. If you're not on one of these aggregators, taking all these because you need to be on all these DSPs and all these uh, delivery platforms, but you do have to have somebody funneling it into the POS. I agree with that. Yeah. By the way, we had Alex Canner on the podcast. We, we, we're a big fan. That's right. We're a fan of Mr. Canner, right. CEO of Odermark. Um, all right, Mike, we want to move into our crystal ball moment. This is a chance where we ask our guests to put on their Kreskin or Miss Cleo hats and, and predict the future. How do you see restaurants and dining two years from now in relation to hospitality and ghost kitchens? Yeah, I think there's going to be a death of a lot of brands in two years. I think that what you see with ghost kitchens, and particularly um, kind of these these ghost kitchen concepts popping up, uh, people are shopping for food for restaurant food based on what looks really good in the pictures and what they're really you know savoring for at that moment, and they're less concerned about whether it's you know uh, a brand or whatever else. So I think that a, a lot a lot is going to change in terms of how people choose where they eat. And I think that um, brands or restaurant operators that can you know, create their own brands and, you know, or, or, or license them from a company like Nextbyte um, or mm-hmm. just launch ghost kitchens that can do a bunch of them, I think they're going to challenge the old guard of brands in this industry, and I think they're going to win that fight. That's interesting. That's an interesting perspective. Oh. We're going to uh, we're gonna have to get Mike back on in two years and see how that pans out. <laughs> if I'm wrong, I might be. I, I don't know if you're wrong or right. That's why it's the it's the crystal ball moment. We're gonna see. Well, two years from now, put that down, right. Julie. We got to get Mike back on in two years if our podcast right. is uh, still here. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, real quick, this is the best segment of the entire podcast because it's my segment. It's the uh, it's the, it's the branded <laughs> quickfire. I do an amazing job of it. I really do. And uh, everyone says that when they listen to podcasts, they say, this is the best part of the podcast. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you five lightning round questions. Don't think too hard. Just give us what pops into your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready, bud. All right. We talked a lot about French fries, so I think it's really apropos we ask you this question. What's your favorite fries? Is it matchstick, curly, waffle, steak? What is it? Uh, I'm going to fit the California stereotype here. It's a, it's a, it's a big sweet potato fry. Big sweet potato? added the sweet potato in there. What are you, where are you getting dinner from tonight? Where are you getting dinner from? Whole Foods. <laughs> okay, Whole Foods. Are you, are you cooking it or are you getting like, like the, from the prepared section? I'm cooking tonight. Cooking tonight. What's your yeah. favorite food city in the world? 
my favorite food city, Chicago. Boy, I think Chicago, yeah. Yeah, no, I got to tell you, it's a good one. We always, uh, Chicago is a good one. When travel resumes to complete normalcy, where is the first place you want to go? Yeah, I love London. I would, I want to go back to London. Yeah, they're having a, yeah, London, London's a good one. I agree. Got to get over to Europe. I know Jim, I know Jimmy's dying to get over to Italy. I am. If you were to challenge, and this is, this is the question that is really the best of all questions, the number five, there's only five and number five is the best one. If you were to challenge Jimmy or I to a race for 10 perfect push-ups, who would you have a better chance or better odds of beating? Oh boy, I'm going to offend somebody here. Okay, not remembering you two gentlemen's body types too well. I'm just going to choose the funniest guys because they're generally not always the fittest guys. I think I, <laughs> I can Jimmy, Jimmy, can you take off your shirt and just show everybody, all our viewers and listeners out there? Oh, I would crush you in 10 perfect push-ups, Shazzy. I'd crush you. You're, you, might be, you might be thinner, but you're dainty. You're a little dainty, Michael. I am I got dainty. I got, I, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy and I go to the gym a couple days a week together. I'm Jimmy, tomorrow, Friday, the gym, we're doing a push-up challenge. Push-up challenge. You got it. Ten perfect. Okay. Ten perfect. Well, I'm glad. You know what, Mike? That's the first. I think this is the first time someone has said that they will beat Jimmy. Yeah. Oh, challenge. Challenge is on. It's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. All right, listen. This was a lot of fun. And yes, Jetsy, the section that was yours and the last one and the fact that you won this one, it is the greatest section in the history of podcasts. I have to say that. <laughs> Not just our podcast, the history of podcasts. Listen, Mike, we, thank you, we want to thank you so much for joining us uh, on the Hospitality Hangout and for sharing with our guests all your insights. Uh, we appreciate your hard work supporting the hospitality industry, not just during this time of, of real challenge, but always. Um, so thank you for all of that. If you want to get in touch with Mike directly, you can email us at podcast at brandedstrategic.com. That's podcast at brandedstrategic.com. And we'd be happy to make the connection and, and intro uh, to Mr. Bell. Uh, to our listeners, uh, we Wait, want to did thank you, get, you so isn't much. There a, I thought Mike offered a special deal. I thought we were giving away uh, free flippies. No, no um, for the first uh, five callers. That, that wasn't the offer? We were giving away free French fries, a small <laughs> order of sweet potato, California-style oh, French so, fries. So, so no, free, no free flippies for the first five callers? No free flippy, but you can get some right, fries. So you got to okay. email podcast, and, and Mike <laughs> will send you sweet potato fries. Yes, yes. You want fries with that? Okay. Um, to our listeners, we can't thank you enough for tuning in with us. We know there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. Uh, and the fact that you choose to hang out with us is something we appreciate. Uh, so please join us next time as we welcome our friend Victoria Vainberg, CMO at Resi. Think you're going to love it. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast. So you don't miss out on exciting guests coming up. Um, and better yet, invite a friend uh, to join us and hang out with us. Until next time, this is Jimmy Frischling, your finance guy, signing off. Mr. Bell, we appreciate you, and I'll pass it to my boy, Shatsy. Yeah, thanks, everybody. It's the restaurant guy, a.k.a. Shatsy from the Hospitality Hangout. Thank you to our guest, Mike Bell. This was awesome. Thank you. I appreciate thanks, it. Everybody. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Mike. Cheers. Cheers.